This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You are listening to the Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm Jim Cunningham. Beth Dolinar is here. A new documentary, Alone, Isolation Hurts, which airs Thursday night, February 16th at 8 p.m. And then there are encore broadcasts on Monday, the 20th at 7.30 and Tuesday, the 21st. And those dates and times are on our website, and it'll be available online various ways. Beth, it's so great to see you always. I can't wait to see your new program. Have you put the final touches on the edits now? Paul Ruggieri is doing it as we speak, um, doing always the final a, audio a mix. And right get, at the last oh, minute. it is. It just gets so busy the last couple of days before the premiere. Now, I'm very interested in this topic because I think so much... Radio and television, to a certain extent, listening is alone. You spend with your radio in the car or people at home. Older folks wind up losing relatives, and all they have is listening to the radio. So often I know it's a lifeline for people, but it's a very powerful topic and a real worry when people wind up isolated. You know, isolation and loneliness uh, are considered an epidemic, and I got the idea for this documentary uh, during pan- the pandemic because I think we all were experiencing isolation in a way we never had before because of the shutdowns. But even before that, a third of Americans of all ages said they were lonely on a regular basis. And then two years into the pandemic, that number had doubled. So um, Harvard did a study There's the Unlonely Project, which is an organization, did a study. And now we're going to start seeing these studies, um, medically based, psychologically based, that are saying that loneliness, not just during the pandemic, uh, but before the pandemic and certainly after. Uh, And so our documentary takes a look at it. Uh, It just so happens that doctors will tell you that a chronically isolated person has higher rates of physical ailments. Of course, you can expect mental health, depression, anxiety from loneliness, but it's related to high blood pressure, to uh, certain cancers, to obesity, to sleep disorders. And it is said that somebody who is chronically isolated, that is as much a danger to health as smoking. So I think because of the pandemic shining a light on this, as the years go by, I think there will be more research about it and there will be more efforts to bring people into the fold who don't have anybody. It has a stigma. People are afraid to admit that they're alone. I was surprised in my travels of this documentary, which we've been doing this for a year now, how much stigma there is. And I think one one of the people in the documentary said that to say I'm lonely is to say I don't have any friends or I'm unlovable or I don't deserve to be around people. And of course, that is not true necessarily, because as you said, as people get older, their friends and family start dying. And the opportunities for connective activities are fewer as you get older. And some people work so intensely, so many crazy hours, it doesn't leave that many hours for socializing. So you're, you're alone with your laptop or your, your uh, computer. You know, I've always thought that the Internet is mostly a good thing. I think that it does connect us. And as we saw during the pandemic, it allowed all of us to continue our jobs. I mean, we had Zoom calls all the time. Uh, We at WQED produced much content, including broadcast documentaries, 
knowing that we can only be together with people over Zoom. And so I think the Internet has been good. I think it's connected us both during the pandemic and outside of the pandemic. However, I think that when it comes to young people and teens, it can be isolating because uh, there are actual you know, reliance on screens that do not allow you to talk to each other. And so uh, in this documentary, we feature people who, for whatever reason, both during the pandemic and outside of it, have experienced loneliness. We had a woman who became an alcoholic during the pandemic. We have um, uh, a gentleman who had suffered with depression all his life since his father died when he was very young. And before the pandemic, it became so bad that he uh, attempted to take his own life. Uh, we talked to uh, a woman whose elderly mother died in a nursing home during COVID, and she couldn't be there. And then we heard all the stories of that. Uh, so, I, I, you know, as I, as I set out to tell this story, uh, we went looking for people who would be able to tell their own stories of loneliness. And I think at the end of the day, I hope that people leave after watching this documentary and say it's nothing to be ashamed of. Beth, you just mentioned some of the people that you spoke with, that you interviewed. Where did you film and what experts did you involve before your camera? We uh, feature a psychologist named Sharma Dudley. Uh, she's a uh, She does one-on-one uh, -on -one therapy with people who have all kinds of um, mental challenges. But uh, she is our main expert, and she's very eloquent about how universal loneliness is and how it is one of the human emotions. It's like happiness and anger and jealousy and depression and sadness, and we have to add loneliness to that. We can't look at it as something that is other, that other people have a problem with. It's something that everybody will uh, feel at some time or maybe many times in their lives. And we also went, we went to Vintage, which is a senior center in the east end of Pittsburgh over by Highland Park. And we talked to the director there who uh, talks about how when it comes to senior citizens, uh, just walking through the door of a senior center and will maybe lift some of the burden of loneliness. And it's getting but it's getting people to come out and give it a try. Not everybody's a joiner. Um, I'm a natural introvert and I do well by myself. I read a lot. And my work, a lot of my writing work can be very solitary, and I'm very comfortable with that. But if I go too long without seeing my people, all my many people, then I can start to feel a little bit anxious. And so I understand that. And I'm sure, you know, you've understood it. And, you know, it's universal. Everybody has felt it. It's interesting that physicians, the medical world seems to focused on this issue a lot more recently. We now know that your social network is essential to, to good health, particularly as you get older. Well, it's, it's related to physical health. And there have been studies done of different cultures. In, in Japan, for example, there are the way that people as they age are kept in families and older people are regarded in ways that maybe in other places, maybe even part of our culture doesn't do so much. And that the lifespan and the healthy living that goes on longer can be connected to you have friends and you go out and you talk to people. And um, I think that we can all feel that, although we don't necessarily talk about it. And so I was very happy to see many studies going on about that now. The Area Agency on Aging, 
Aging and a group called Macedonia Face are starting a project called Wise Neighbor, and they are going to use tools like Meals on Wheels to identify people, not just older Americans, but identify people of all ages who are isolated, either in congregate housing or in their own homes and in their own apartments and find a way to draw them in and to get them the help that they need. And so I think we'll, as time goes on and as we get further from the isolation of the pandemic, we're going to reflect back and say that was really hard, but maybe one of the silver linings is that it made us pay attention to isolation as a real health problem. You mentioned some of the solutions to the problem a moment ago, but it's easier said than done when you have spent maybe years not seeing very many people and your connections have slowly drifted away. What else impressed you about how you can actually get out of your loneliness shell? We feature a young man named Joel Richard, uh, he works for NAMI, which is a mental health organization here. But going back uh, many years, his father died when he was 13, and he thought that that was the onset of depression. And he struggled with depression all his life. And he had a job. He was actually a video editor. And that can be a solitary job. You can sit in a room and edit tape. And that's what he did. And he would go home. He became more and more isolated through his depression that he quit talking to friends and he quit talking to his mother and his sisters, actually. And it got very bad. And he took uh, he attempted to take his own life. And when he went to reach out to a therapist to to start to get help. The therapist said, this is what I want you to do. You find a group of people who do something, doesn't matter what it is, but that every week that there is an activity around that group where you are required to go and do that whether you feel like it or not. And he decided that he would go play table games, Monopoly, Dungeons and Dragons, chess, and things like that. He was part of a group that counted on him to be there and it saved his life. And so that's a kind of a facile way for me to say, well, go play Monopoly. But <laughs> I know that it's not that easy. And I also found that underserved communities, whether people who have disabilities, people who are in underserved neighborhoods, this every, everything difficult that happens to you and me falls on underserved people with a heavier thud, as we know. And that's the case there, too. People who don't have a car. And think about during the pandemic, you couldn't get on a bus. Where were you going? Uh, churches weren't having their services at the regular times. And so all it became the first domino. And I think that to answer your question succinctly, which I did not do, was I think just walking out of your house, maybe saying hello to somebody might be a start. And that seems so simple. But over and over again through this, we heard from people who said, just say hello to somebody, say good morning. And, you know, don't you think, Jim, most people will say hi back to you? Most people will. Most I think most often, people want to connect. I think so. And yet, folks like you and me that tend to be more stay-alone types naturally, it's hard to break out and say hello to somebody that doesn't look like us, maybe someone with a physical disability. Maybe you don't want to get involved in other people's problems. I think of Fred Rogers, who widely said hello and asked people about their families, folks he didn't know. You know, but when you're at the bus stop, when you're seated in your seat at a concert, you don't know the person next to you, sometimes you just, it's hard to say 
Are you enjoying this? <laughs> Did you enjoy your day? What are you doing tomorrow? All the kind of simple things that get a conversation going. And I think if those who would listen to you and me talking here saying they could not possibly be introverts because they're in the public eye. But I think that there are many people who what they do for a living is one thing and who they are is a little bit different. And I think if we think in terms of don't make um, – judgments about other people that you may encounter and just assume, well, if I say hello to him, he'll never say back to me because chances are he will. And I think that you only have to be brave for a second is what I say. That's all it takes is to be brave for a second to, to speak to somebody. And they will probably respond. You know, if you're, you know, I ride my bike all the time. And I find that if I smile when I pass somebody, they will always smile back at me or wave. Always. And these are people I don't know. I don't know what they're. We have one thing in common, and that is that we like to cycle, right? Other than that, we know nothing. And so, um, you know, did we have answers in this documentary? I don't think. I think it's such a huge problem. I don't think that there are answers. But I think that being aware that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Maybe that's the first step. Yes, that's what we're good at is awareness, I hope. Yeah, shine a light and say this is everybody gets feels like this sometimes. I'm not a frequent flyer, but I have an admission that I've flown entire flights without saying hello to the person in the seat next to me, and I'm always embarrassed by that. Uh, you should say hi, you know, and where are you going, and, and uh, has it been a good trip, or are you looking forward to something nice when you get there? It, but it's tempting to just stay quiet, you know? Yeah, but but don't you think if the person in the seat next to you had reached out to you, you would have responded? Of course. Yes, De definitely. So I think that makes our point, doesn't it? Yes. That we all, I think that um, we evolved as a species of creatures who need each other. You have the Staunton Farm Foundation as a helper supporting your effort. I don't know them. Who Who is the Staunton Farm Foundation? They uh, do a lot of support on content, programming, teaching around mental health. And so when we came up with this idea, uh, our foundation department here knew that th this might be a good match for them, and we do appreciate them so much. When you stop by, I always like to look at your articles in the paper that you're still writing every week for the Washington Observer? Yeah, it's been 25 years, 25 Fridays. It's great. Yeah. I noticed you went to the ballet, you went to the Nutcracker. I went, you and know. you were using a cane. I was using a cane. I had uh, knee surgery just a couple weeks before that. I had a torn meniscus from my bike. I was storming up a hill and I felt it pop. And so I went uh, and had it repaired. And I was using a cane. And uh, let this, maybe this will be a warning. Um, so I was getting into my row, and I was also already not very graceful about it because of the cane. And I slipped on a pro, a playbill was on the floor. And that's like ice. Those things, you know, they're glossy. Very and I slipped, and I, it was bad. I went into the lap of a woman. <laughs> I'm glad she, she wasn't was, harmed. She was not harmed, and she could not have been nicer about it. To our point, most people are going to be nice. Yes. Yeah, it was not my best. Ballet was great, though. And, you know, I did sit next to the production manager. Uh, he was a single seat there, and he was taking notes. And so I did speak to him at intermission. I, you know, asked him what he was doing. And he said that this, I think, is the 20th year of that production of The Nutcracker. And I, I think... That uh, you know they're taking a look at what might come next for the Nutcracker. Hmm. 
Never gets old, though. I no, it does enjoy not. It. I, Every, think it's, I never miss. That's why it's a masterpiece. Yes. Yep. Every year. It's well, part I love of the tradition. reading about it in your column. Yeah. I enjoy it, and it's online. You can find your column easily. Yes. From the Washington uh, every Observer. Friday, the Observer Reporter. Yeah, maybe I think I think that this week I have a deadline on Thursday, so I think I'll write about what these conversations mean to me because I so enjoy coming in here and talking about my work. Well, the feeling is mutual, Thanks. and uh, I'm on a wild digression here. But uh, anything <laughs> else we should mention about your program? Uh, isolation, uh, being alone. Have we covered the topic? Alone, isolation hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And it hurts us mentally, but also physically. And I will mention that uh, title graphics for our documentary are, are an important thing because it's, it is, we try to capture a feeling of what the show is going to be about. And Paula Zetter, whom you know is our dire design director, and everything she does is delicious, everything. And we, I decided that for this, I didn't want to have a person in the title graphic. Uh, I, I, what person would you be? Because it's not an old person. It's not a young person. Everybody feels lonely. And so we decided I wanted to have an empty chair in a room with some light coming through a window. So I went to Dave Forstate, who was the director of photography for this. And I said, you know, I know a family who will let us in their house. They have a wooden floor. We'll put a chair with a light coming through. And he said, well, we're going to have to fog the room. I fogged the room. And he said, it's very difficult to capture light on video. And so we fogged the room. There's a fogging machine, and uh, we went in, and Dave turned the fogging machine on. It doesn't smell like smoke. It's like it's a sweet smell. And as, it, as the smoke fell to the floor and dissipated, he filmed the chair with light coming through, and the, the curtain on the window is waving slightly, and you capture the light. And so I learned something. I didn't know that it's hard to capture light, and so fog will help you capture light. I will pay more attention to that yeah. when I watch your program. <laughs> That's for sure. And going back to what fun it is that, you know, our jobs are just we meet people and we do things that are so interesting. Oh, and putting the light on this topic, it's essential. You've got to do it. Uh, folks should not be suffering alone. I can't stand that, the idea that someone would contemplating doing themselves in when just listening to the radio a little bit more, reaching out to WQED and trying to get a hold of Beth or Jim, we'd try to help. Of course. Uh, no of course. question about it. Of course. And and for the young man who was in his darkest moment, to see him in the documentary, he got COVID, <laughs> of course. Oh so we were filming on Saturday where he was playing table games with his group, and he appears on screen, which... I ironic it's i mean of all you know he called me last week and said you're gonna believe this but i have covid he's okay he sounded like he had a cold he's feeling okay but the fact that what saved his life was playing monopoly and dungeons and dragons with his friends hmm. so it doesn't necessarily have to be anything huge it no. could be something small it could be calling somebody sitting on your porch and waving to people as yep. they go by makes yeah. a big difference it's huge yeah. Yep. Beth, it is a joy to see you all. Well, it's nice to be in the same space with yeah. you and not be working alone at my computer today. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> I'm not crazy about the Zoom world, and it's part Ugh, of us Aren't now. we all sick of it? Yep. Ugh, we're no sick doubt. of it. It was, it was such a, a, a novelty at first. Oh, my, we're all on, yeah, yeah, we're tired of it. Now it has its limitations, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, there are no limits when you've got your camera going on the wonderful things that you see and, and put the spotlight on. So please, don't be a stranger. Come by and, oh, and see me soon. I will. It's nice right. to see Thanks you as always. Thanks for this wonderful conversation. Thanks, Jim. Beth okay. Molinar, a joy. 
This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.